Today's reading is from Acts 20, 17 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christ Community's downtown campus. Uh, My name is Tyler, and I am one of the pastors here. And man, it is a delight to see you today. You picked a great Sunday to be here. It is back to school Sunday, and I love school. I've loved school my entire life, and so I just took down some posters from my walls at home uh, and thought I would bring them in to decorate today. Uh, But quite sincerely, what a joy, what a joy uh, to celebrate heading back to school. And I know we're celebrating the beginning of the school year this week, but for some reason, I could not help shake from my mind something that students tend to receive at the end of the school year. Uh, This week, as I was thinking about Sunday coming up and what we were going to be discussing about today, in my mind, I I just kept thinking back on something that students typically receive at the end of the school year. Let's see if you can guess what it is. It's usually about, I don't know, maybe this big. Uh, It catalogs memories. It documents every bad haircut, every bad fashion choice. Someone said it. Did someone say yearbook? Yeah, that's exactly right. I've been thinking about yearbooks, y'all. And specifically, I've been thinking this week about those cheesy yearbook quotes that seniors get to leave in their yearbooks next to their photos when they graduate. I don't know, did anyone here get to leave a quote next to their face when you were 17 or 18? Do you remember doing this, right? Do you remember what it is at all if you left one? I'm telling you, this was hot in my high school. This was a big ticket item. And so this week I was perusing the internet you know, reading through different quotes that people have left. And some folks leave real inspirational messages for their classmates. Uh, Some people get real sentimental and look back at like a treasured memory. That's what I did when I was a senior. I get real nostalgic. Uh, But others decide to use their quote as a space for humor. So we're just going to look at three real quick. Uh, Here's Jaron Key. He writes, you can catch flies with honey, but you catch more honeys being fly. (laughs) He's right. He's absolutely right. Uh, good work, Jaron. Play your play on. Okay, let's check out another one. Uh, Jessica and CISO says, why fall in love when you can fall asleep? Very true. Very true, Jessica. It's my life verse right there. Uh, and then Hannah Goldsboro, she seems really fun, y'all. She says, I don't always graduate, but when I do, it's barely. Um, so good for you, Hannah. You made it. We're so proud 
Uh, but the fact is yearbook quotes, they can be encouraging, they can be irreverent, they can be thoughtful, they can be silly, and sometimes they can get you in trouble, right? People use this space sometimes to be a bit subversive, which is why I've come to discover my own high school, Carroll High School in Fort Wayne, Indiana, is considering banning the senior quote, y'all. They are considering banning the senior quote. And of course, this potential decision, it's stirred up a bunch of controversy. Uh, I was reading about that controversy this week on the Charger Online, Carroll High School student newspaper. You're looking at one of the former editors. Uh, but that's not important. What matters most is that Caleb Mosier, a senior at Carroll High School, class of 2018, says this about senior quotes. He's coming to defense of senior quotes, and he says, I think senior quotes are a way for seniors to identify the legacy they want to leave behind. As we leave, us seniors want to be remembered and want to have something to summarize our high school experience. Caleb says, the ability to offer these final farewell words helps us identify the legacy we want to leave behind. We want to be remembered, and we want to summarize what our time has meant. So let us have the last word. You know, let us give a final farewell. You see, church, I think that today, as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Acts, I think that Caleb's remarks here give us excellent context and framing for what we are about to study. Because in Acts chapter 20, in the section of the ancient biblical text that we're going to study together this morning, Paul, the apostle, offers final farewell words to the church at Ephesus. He'd already departed from Ephesus. He left after that big riot that he started there. We learned about that a few weeks ago. And so he'd sailed to Macedonia. He'd been to Greece. Uh, but then he comes back to a place called Miletus. And it's only like 38 miles from the city of Ephesus. So he's come back close to Ephesus that he had to leave in protest, right? And he's staying in Miletus. When he realizes that the mission that he's been on is about to take a sudden turn in a different direction. And so he reaches out to the leaders at the church of Ephesus, the leaders of the church he loves, the church that he started there. And he says, hey, would you come see me one last time? Come visit me. I want to leave you some final farewell words before I head in a new direction. And so they make the 14-hour journey down from Ephesus to Miletus. And when they arrive, Paul sits them down, right? And they get quiet, and he leaves them with a final farewell because Paul like sweet Caleb Mosier at Carroll High School, wants to identify for the Ephesians the legacy that he wishes to leave behind. He wants to summarize his time with them. He wants to focus them on what matters most about the three years that they spent together. And so he gathers the church leaders together. He gets those who are committed to the church, who considered themselves all in. He gets them in one space, and he pours out his heart to them. And so for the next few moments, we're going to look closely at what Paul said. We're going to dive deep into these farewell words that he leaves with the Ephesians. And as we do, it's my hope that we'll be able to see more clearly what Paul prioritized while he was there in Ephesus. And then, having identified Paul's priorities, I'm prayerful that we might gain some ideas as to what it might mean for us to put Paul's priorities into practice. Right, Paul's priorities into practice. So that's where we're headed this morning. I am ready to go. Um, if you are too, would you make your way with me to Acts chapter 20? Acts 20, it's on page 929 of our community Bibles. And there Paul begins by saying, you yourselves know, in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord 
with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of the repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his farewell address by saying, hey, you know how I lived among you from the first day that I set foot in your city. The whole time that I was with you and you were with me, you, you know how I lived and how I acted. You watched me. You saw me. You interacted with me. Whether I was serving the Lord in mundane moments or whether I was facing public opposition from my enemies, you observed my tenacity. You witnessed my commitment to the message of the gospel. Uh, you had a front row seat to my work in Ephesus. Paul says, dear friends, you yourself know that when I was with you in Ephesus, man, I was present. I was present. I was fully engaged. I gave all my effort to the task at hand. I was wholeheartedly committed to spreading the message of Jesus and to building the community of Jesus in Ephesus. I was present. And church, I think this is the first thing that's abundantly clear in our text this morning. While Paul was in Ephesus and as he opens his final remarks to the leaders of that church, Paul prioritizes presence. Paul prioritizes presence. He prioritized presence when he was there. He was with the church in Ephesus, so much so that now, as he's getting ready to move on, he's able to like, use their own memory as something to trigger like, the thoughts of him. He's able to rely on the fact that they had firsthand experience with him to say, hey, you yourself know what I was all about because I was present. We were together. You were with me and I was with you. Think back. You were there. You saw me. We've been in this work together. You've been committed and I've been committed to the cultivation of this church in good times and in bad times. Paul says, look, I was present. I was active. I was engaged. I didn't just bark orders from a distance. I was present with you. And then Paul continues, he says, Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul opens his farewell address by saying, hey, when I was with you, I was present. I was fully engaged. I was active. So, but now I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm heading in a different direction. It's where God's leading me now. It's where he's asking me to go. This is what Paul means when he says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. This is Paul's way of saying, look, I can't help but go to Jerusalem. There's no other real option for me. I'm convinced deep in my bones that this is where God is leading me. You know, I'm strapped in like a seatbelt kind of holds you into a car. I am constrained into this plan. I am headed to Jerusalem. And yes, Paul says, as you can imagine, I'm expecting some opposition when I get there because I haven't been best friends with the Jewish religious leaders and there's actually a whole lot of Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. It's kind of their main city. And so Paul says, I'm headed there, but I'm going to finish my course so that I might do the work that God has invited me to do. So here in his final words to the Ephesian church, Paul says, look, when I was with you, I was present, but I've also been focused. 
Paul prioritized focus. He prioritized a laser-like focus on the mission that God had invited him to do. He says, hey, look, when I was with you, that's the work God had called me to do. So I was fully engaged. I was focused on the work of building the church in Ephesus. But now I've got a new mission. God is calling me in a new direction, and so I'm focused on it. I'm not going to drift to the right. I'm not going to swerve to the left. I am fully focused on the work that God has invited me to do. I won't get distracted, and I'm certainly not aimless, but I'm focused. I'm focused on heading to Jerusalem. And then Paul continues. He says, now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Don't let that slip by, church. Paul says to these dear friends that have traveled 14 hours to come and see him, look, I am confident that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom, none of you in this community, we're not going to see each other again. I'm not going to see your face. You're not going to see my face again. So he says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise those speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So at this point in his farewell address, Paul says, hey, look, this is it. This is the last time we're going to see each other face to face. And so I want you to know in these final moments that you really shouldn't change your mind about who Jesus is. And that should you decide that you no longer believe that he's God himself come to earth to die for us and to free us and lead us into new life, he said, should you change your mind about that? Should you drift a little bit? Should you come up with some new idea? Uh, That's not on me. That's on you. I mean, that's what Paul means when he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. He's saying, look, in the time that I've been with you, I have been totally bold, courageous, and honest in explaining exactly who Jesus is and why it matters to you. And I made sure that you understood everything that I was saying. And I also made sure to read everything I said in the entire scriptures. That's what Paul says when he, you know, he says, I declared the whole counsel of God among you. That's what he means. He says, look, I've rooted everything I've said in scripture. I've made it all super, super plain to you. It should be very clear who Jesus is and why he matters. So be warned, Paul says. It's on you now. And there's people coming that are going to try to steer you a bit to the left or dodge you a bit to the right. They're going to try to twist things or add things or subtract things to this message of who Jesus is. They're going to try to persuade you to abandon the truth of the gospel about Jesus. But don't listen to them, Paul says. Don't let them lead others astray. But why, Paul? Why is this such a big deal? Well, I think it's because Paul prioritized truth. He prioritized truth. For three years, Paul says, he did not cease teaching and explaining and confronting and comforting those in Ephesus with the truth of Scripture. He called what was right, right, and what was wrong, wrong. He prioritized truth. And I think he did this because Paul knows that truth is always in jeopardy. It's always in jeopardy because there are more lies in the world than there are truths. And so Paul says, be careful. 
Be on guard. Keep looking out. Watch yourselves and watch the church. Make sure you don't start drifting too far this way or too far that way. Stay in the center of the truth about who Jesus is and what that means for you. Paul prioritized truth. And then finally, he concludes his words by saying, look, now I commend to God, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. I don't know if I can say that because I love gold church. Uh, <laughs> you've been to my apartment, you know. You know, that's true. Um, But he says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold apparel, but you yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul said, hey, look, while I was with you, I was present, I was focused, on the mission, I prioritized truth, and I wasn't doing it for my own gain, for my own benefit. I wasn't after your money. Indeed, the Ephesians church knows that while Paul was with him, there was a season in which he worked part-time to help cover his expenses before some more folks arrived with some support for him. But Paul says, look, I wanted to demonstrate by my own spending and my own lifestyle habits that the church must be committed to helping the weak and to generosity and to building up the family of God, because after all, Paul says, it was Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I, Paul, I was a giver. When I was with you, Paul says, I was invested. I was committed with my time and energy, yes, but I was also committed with my resources. I was invested. Paul prioritized investment. He prioritized investment. He made sure that the resources that God had given him were used to advance the mission of God in the church. And so here in Paul's final moments with the Ephesians, he reminds them of that commitment and he invites them to follow him as he followed Jesus, to follow in Jesus' radical example of generosity. And so presence, focus, truth, investment, these were Paul's priorities. These were the postures he embraced and the habits of heart and mind that he cultivated. Now, I said at the outset of our time this morning that we needed to first identify what Paul prioritized, and we've done that. It's presence, focus, truth, and investment. But I also said we were going to take some time this morning to see if there were any ways that we might put Paul's priorities into practice. And so for the next few minutes, I'd love to suggest just four simple practices, four simple practices that might help align us with Paul's priorities. And then I've got a very special surprise at the end of the sermon. So four practices and then a surprise. Uh, But first, the four practices. And so here they are. And they're each connected with one of Paul's priorities. So let's, let's start with the first one. If you're here this morning and you want to prioritize presence, might I suggest that you make Sunday morning a habit? If you're here this morning and you hear that Paul prioritized presence and you say, gosh, I want to prioritize presence too, might I suggest that you make Sunday morning a habit? Make Sunday morning a habit. Make being here a regular part of your schedule. Well, why? Why? Well, simply, it's because it's good for you and it's good for us. It's good for you to be around others in God's family. It's good for you to hear what's going on in other people's lives and to ask them questions and to be asked questions yourself. It's good for you to take advantage of our stand and greet time 
That's why we do it every Sunday, why we take minutes out of, out of the service, right? It's, it's in the service. It's an important part of the service for you to greet those around you and meet those that are here and connect with the others that God has brought into this family of God. It's good for you to come and hear God's word and to worship together with sisters and brothers who sit row from row from you and to find encouragement and comfort in that. It's good for you to be known by others at your church, and it's good for your church to know you. Paul was intimately known by those at the church in Ephesus. That's why he's able to say, hey, look, you yourselves know what I was like. You saw me all the time. It's because Paul prioritized presence. Have you? I mean, have you made being present with your spiritual family a priority? If you want to prioritize presence, I suggest that you make Sunday morning a habit. Make it a habit. You'll be really glad you did. I promise. I promise. That's the first practice. Here's the second. If you want to prioritize focus, as Paul prioritized focus, if you want to prioritize focus, make prayer a habit. Make prayer a habit. Paul had laser-like focus on the mission that God had called him to complete. He knew what he needed to do, and he knew it, as we see in verse 23, because he was engaged with the Holy Spirit through prayer. In prayer, in speaking to God and listening to what God said in response, Paul found encouragement, he found focus, he found direction, and he found clarity in what God was inviting him to do. I mean, are you unsure of what God has for you to do? If you are, perhaps that lack of clarity is rooted in a lack of prayer. Now, that's not to say that all who lack clarity in what God's inviting them to do are prayerless. Sometimes we pray a whole lot and God chooses to be silent and he has his reasons. And we've talked about that here before. And I'll talk about it with you again if that's the spot where you are right now. I'm not saying that all who lack clarity are prayerless, but I am saying that some are. Maybe you are. Maybe the reason you aren't as clear about what God's inviting you to do is because you haven't been as prayerful about it. You aren't talking to God regularly about his plan or his purpose for you. I'd say if you want to prioritize focus, if you want to be so on point and focused on the mission that God has given you in your life, maybe you need to make prayer about that a habit. Make it a habit. You can talk to God, ask him, what am, I, what am I here to do? What do you have for me to do in this season of life? And then listen, listen, listen. If you want to prioritize focus, make prayer a habit. And third, if you want to prioritize truth, make the Bible a habit. If you want to prioritize truth, make the Bible a habit. You see, Paul loved the truth. He loved explaining what was true about the world to both Jews and Gentiles alike, and he rooted all his explanations of what was true in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures that he had available, and in the eyewitness accounts about who Jesus was that he received from the apostles themselves that later became transcribed and encoded in the Gospels. So Paul was deeply rooted in the truth that we now have available to us in the Bible. Paul loved the truth, and the Bible contains God's truth. It's absolutely amazing in that way. If you want to know what God thinks about this or what God thinks about that or what God thinks about you, you can find it in the Bible. It's the source of truth. But is it the source of your truth? Is it the foundation of your thinking? I mean, if it isn't, 
Perhaps you need to make reading the Bible a habit. Just 15 minutes a day can make a huge difference. I mean, start in a book that's easy, a book like the Gospel of John, and let the truth that John gives about who Jesus is and why that matters, let it sink in. I mean, you could spend your rest of the time there till the end of the year, and I promise you won't run out of new things to think about. It will change the way you think, and it will root your thoughts in God's thoughts, and it will align your worldview with God's truth. If you want to prioritize truth, make the Bible a habit. And finally, finally, if you want to prioritize investment, right, Paul was deeply invested in the Ephesian church. If you want to prioritize investment, make giving a habit. If you want to prioritize investment, make giving a habit. Paul was invested in the Ephesian church. He was invested with his time, yes, and he was invested with his money. And church, if you want to feel connected to what God is doing here, there is no better way to feel connected and feel a part of our mission than by supporting it financially. That's just the way it goes. I mean, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He says that where your treasure goes, your heart will follow. Your heart follows your money. So if you want your heart to be in the church, and if you want to feel deeply connected to God's work through the church, might I suggest prioritizing investing here? Prioritize investing here. I'm telling you, it's a really good investment. I mean, did you know that our church supports dozens of local and global partners, nonprofits that engage refugees and immigrants and persecuted churches and teen moms and homelessness? I mean, did you know that our church has a crisis fund such that if someone shows up at the door and they have a great need, Gabe and I have like a pool of money that we can use in the moment to help them as soon as they need it. I mean, it's a gift of being part of a church and honestly of us being on staff at a church that's so generous. We're ready to help. We don't have to wait around or call in something. I mean, we've got the crisis fund ready. Did you know our church across five campuses hosts various support groups on almost every night of the week? You know that we have AA here at the downtown campus that meets Friday nights at 7 p.m. Did you know that? I mean, there is so much activity going on in our church. There's so much good work that takes place, and we've got some real needs coming. I mean, you've seen this morning, every square inch of this space is full and crammed, and we've got kids in a tent out back, and it's exciting, but we have dreams of what the future could be. And if you want to feel connected to that mission as we're seeking to go forward and seeking to be a beacon of hope in the downtown of Kansas City and across all our five campuses, across the entire metro area in Leewood and Olathe and Shawnee and downtown and Brookside, if you want to be connected to that, Investment matters. I mean, prioritize investment. Make giving a habit. You know, maybe set it up online. Make it automatic. It's easy, and I promise you'll be so glad you did. Presence, focus, truth, investment. Those were Paul's priorities. And Paul presented his priorities to the Ephesian church in his final words to them as he sought to summarize what his time meant and to leave them with a legacy. Now, here's my favorite part of this morning's text. This is what's getting us ready for the surprise church. At the very end of this farewell address, Luke, the author of Acts, gives us a glimpse into a very intimate moment that Paul had with those people that mattered to him most, those really committed members, people that said, hey, I'm all in at the church of Ephesus. And I think this is one of the most poignant portions of the entire book. So Luke writes here in Acts, he says, and when he, Paul, had said these things, so after he's laid out all his priorities, He knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. Everyone's crying. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all 
because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. I absolutely love that. Because you see, church, what happens when you prioritize presence, and when you prioritize focus, and when you prioritize truth, and when you prioritize investment, and what happens when you do that is that you find family. And you look around and you see other folks that are making similar sacrifices, other folks that are committed to the same causes, others invested in the same work, and you realize, hey, this is family. You know, this is community. This is the church. And what's true this morning is that there are people in our family, people in our church who have been present, who have been focused, who've been committed to the truth and who've been invested, who, like Paul now, are feeling God call them away from this place. And I'm thinking specifically this morning of Hepzibah Dutt and Allie Martin. Uh, last week was Hepzibah's last week worshiping with us. I mean, if you never had the privilege of meeting her, Hepzibah was a member here. Um, who was thoroughly, thoroughly invested in the work that was happening here. And then this Sunday is actually Allie's last Sunday with us. Right, Allie? Yeah. Um, and Allie served as a greeter for you all this morning. She welcomed you into this space. And so knowing that this message was coming and knowing that final farewells have great power to prioritize and give us focus and give us encouragement, a few weeks ago, uh, we invited Hepzibah and Allie to write letters to their church family, summarizing their time here and identifying the legacy that they wish to leave in this community. And I'm telling you, I have been blown away by their responses. So in the time we have left today, would you lean in and listen to the words of these sisters, these sisters who have been present, who have been focused, who have been committed to the truth, and who have been invested here. And we'll start with Hepzibah. So Hepzibah writes this. She says, Dear family, by the time you read this, I will be 1,001 miles away from you, which is 1,001 miles from where I want to be this Sunday morning. My three years with you taught me a lot about Kansas City. You know, Pastor Gabe is always saying, love your city. And I want to exhort you to figure out how you can love your city. And just figuring that out is a task. There is so much good work to be done. Find your place in it and soon. Of all the cities in the U.S., Casey is in a unique position. We are perched on a pre precipice. Here we can see the problems of the past, but we're not yet hurtling into the future with too much momentum. So we have the opportunity to make an impact for change. We can do the work that would make this city a place of justice and true community. But the time is now, friends. Don't believe the tempting lies that poverty or gentrification and the displacement of lower income folks is inevitable. The water cycle is inevitable. The poverty, racial and social injustice, they're just the consequences of systems. And systems can be dismantled and restructured. So be active neighbors, be participants in the community, be allies and activists. And then she says, could I ask you this favor? Our church is growing so fast, and even as it does, as you, you know, seek to find homes and groups in which to belong in this church, please keep looking outwards. I think this is so important for our downtown congregation. Everyone who has joined our church has said it's the people who make this church so special and welcoming, and it might get harder as our church gets bigger, so look to the margins to find people who fall into the gaps between social groups and circles. It feels so good to belong. She's right. But please don't ever let this hold on to you so tight that you forget to reach out. 
I say this with earnestness and urgency because it was this special goodness, the skill and action to look around and reach out that found me when I was a stranger to this city. She says, I commend you to my sister, Sarah Reardon, who remembered me my second Sunday and called me by name. It was like a rainbow had wrapped itself around me. I wish for every visitor to our church to experience the love of Jesus Christ by being welcomed into this space as he welcomes us into the family of God. She says, finally, I want to tell you, sometimes hope doesn't feel like hope. Oh, man. Sometimes hope is a long, dead winter. And in those days or years, it's okay to be angry, to be sad, to rail against the skies with fists pounding and a voice hoarse with tears, but never once fool yourself that you were alone or forgotten. Hope is just faith that looks forward. And sometimes faith is just waking and going through every day, remembering that we're the beloved of God. Remembering, not feeling it or even always believing it fully, but just remembering that we are the beloved of God like a fact, like knowing that gravity exists or that one shouldn't wear a beret if they wish to be taken seriously. It's great advice. She says, you, my church, have amazed me. So many of you have prayed for me and supported me through the ups and downs of the last three years. Friends from this community have remained with me through months of agony, the waiting and disappointments that never seemed to cease. And you did so with kindness and grace, and you found creative ways to make me smile and bring joy to my day to day. I wish I didn't have to leave you. But as much as I hate to, I leave resolved with courage and grace in honor of the goodness you have showered on me. I pray this parting is short. I pray to be with you again. And if not here, I'll see you on the other side. Hepzibah. I mean, did you hear it, church? A prioritization of presence, a prioritization of focus. She says, like Jesus, be focused on those who are new to our family. Look outwards, invite others in. Did you hear the prioritization of truth? Right? Hope is a thing that looks forward. Trust God, remember him. Did you hear the prioritization of investment? Love your city, care for your church. And that's the testimony of our sister, Hepzibah. And we thank God for the time that we had together with her and for what he's taught us through her. That's Hepzibah's testimony. And then here's what Allie wrote. Allie said, Dear Christ community, growing up, my mom would always say, Allie, do whatever makes your heart beat fast and makes you want to bang your fists on the table. In other words, seek what gives you joy and take on Christ's heart, pursuing the injustices of the world. These words have shaped and directed my path and are a part of what has guided me into this next season as I prepare to pursue my master's in social work at the University of Alabama. As exciting as this time is, my heart aches knowing that I'm leaving this family at Christ's community that God has been so faithful to provide. It is here that I've made my home, where I found the dearest friends and truly what I believe to be family. And then she gives real specific instructions. She says, first off to the men, I grew up in a family where I'm sadly unable to name a single male family member in my life that pursues Christ. I have leaned heavily on each one of you, whether I have a personal relationship with you or not, to set the tone and example of what a Christ-centered man should be. Thank you that when my own family could not teach me or set this example before me, you did. I hope each of you will continue to take the call to lead and shepherd this flock seriously. It is my hope that our families, our churches, and our city might be filled with men who are committed and long to see the name of God known. 
And she says, women, you have all been examples of deep compassion, kindness, and hospitality. So many of you have opened up your homes as you have welcomed me into your daily lives, equipping me in the word and helping me mature in my faith. What a beautiful season it has been as I have been blessed to be able to walk arm in arm with many of you. Sisters, we have been given a rich hope as we have been called to not just believe in God, but to truly believe God when he says his promises are true in our lives. I pray we would continue to build one another up as we walk in confidence and boldness that we are beloved daughters of God who has equipped us with strength and love in Christ. Christ community, she says, thank you for seeking to excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in love, and in grace. It is through your investment in me that I've been able to begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This family has a way of expressing unparalleled joy. It's deeply generous and quick to wrap tenderly around anyone who needs to know the love of Christ. You have all challenged me in my thinking and actions, forever growing me to be more like Christ. This church has created a safe environment where I have been welcomed to bring my thoughts and questions, exploring with others the gospel truth about who God is, who we are, and how we should love and care for this world without fearing judgment or feeling the need to have all the right answers. Being part of this body and its desire to close the Sunday to Monday gap has dared me to fully commit myself to my vocational calling with joy, knowing that God has intended our work to have eternal impact. Then she says, I recently had a coworker ask me, why do you get giddy when you talk about church? I responded, because it is my favorite hour of the week. There's no place where I feel greater joy and love than when I get to worship God alongside the people who love God and love me. And church, my prayer for you is this. I pray that this church would walk in unity, knowing we are called to one God who sent his son to die for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might know an everlasting relationship with our creator. Let us get alone with God each and every day so that our hearts may sing of the truth that we are made new. I pray we would walk in a confidence of unmatched joy and love for one another, our families, our coworkers, our neighbors, and our city. Let us not be a group of good people that are known for doing nothing but together with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, would we do what makes our hearts beat fast and makes us want to bang our fists on the table, both in word and deed, so that we might bring glory to the kingdom of God. Love, Allie Martin. Thanks, Allie. I mean, did you hear it, church? A prioritization of presence, a prioritization of focus, a prioritization of truth, a prioritization of investment. And so this morning, church, we have heard words of farewell, words of farewell from Hephzibah, words of farewell from Allie, and words of farewell from Paul. And we have learned at the outset of our time together that words of farewell help us identify the legacy we want to leave behind. They help summarize our time in a particular place and to encourage those who remain in that place as we depart. So let's embrace the encouragements of Hephzibah. Let's embrace the encouragements of Allie, and let's prioritize what Paul prioritized, becoming people who are present in this church, people who are focused on what God has invited them to do, people who are committed to the truth, and people who are invested to what God is doing here in this church and around our city. Let's be those kinds of people. Would you pray with me? Oh man, Lord, what a testimony to your faithfulness to your place, to this place, to your faithfulness, to your church. 
Um, as, as witnessed in the testimony of Paul, as we've heard in the testimony of our sisters, God, allow us to be people that are committed to what you're committed to, that love what you love, that are about your church and your family in this place and building up those around us who you've called together as our brothers and sisters and investing in the work that you're doing here and around our city. God, I pray that we could be called into deeper commitment to the relationships that you've brought into our lives, deeper commitment to this church and deeper commitment to our callings in this city wherever you lead us. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the encouragement and the direction and the guidance we've received today in your word, from your word. It's in your powerful name we pray, amen.